Welcome to the Diane Podcast. Diane, or Diversity and Inclusion in Asia Network, is the leading network of companies and professionals committed to advancing diversity and inclusion in their organizations in Asia. Leveraging a decade of expertise and thought leadership, we hope this podcast inspires, educates, and motivates passionate individuals like yourself. My name is Tina Arcilia, Senior Manager at Community Business, and I manage the Diane Network. With us today for the second episode of this podcast series is Shuba Chako, Executive Director at Solidarity Foundation, an India-based foundation set up to provide support to sex workers and sexual minorities. Thank you so much for joining, Shuba. Thank you for having me. I look forward to this conversation. I'm interested to hear what inspired you to work with sexual minorities in India. How did this all start for you? Actually, it happened completely by chance. I've been working, I have been working uh, on various other issues, uh, specifically women's rights and women's issues for many years. And then I met somebody, I was in my early 30s, so that's 20 years ago, when I met somebody who uh, came out to me as being gay and um, while we were working on some other social issue. And I realized what I thought at that point was this was the first gay man I'd ever met, or so I thought. Um, and then I started to ask him, what is it like to be gay in India? And I'm talking about 20 years ago. And he also came from a rural background. He came from a small town, basically. And as we got talking, I realized that the challenges were enormous. And something about his story moved me so much that I felt I really need to understand more and engage more with this issue. So that's how my journey began into uh, looking at LGBT issues, and I've been doing this since then. That's a great story, Shuba. I'm quite familiar with all the incredibly valuable work you and Solidarity Foundation do, but could you give the audience an idea of the type of work that you do? Uh, basically, what we do at Solidarity Foundation fundamentally is supporting grassroots level groups and organizations that are emerging in small towns and in villages because we feel that in the city there's been some progress made, but um, uh, there still needs a lot more work to be done in the hinterlands. And um, there are groups that are emerging, but they need support. So that's the primary. Uh, work we do. The other two areas of work is, of course, a very big component is our corporate engagement, uh, both in terms of supporting companies on their own LGBT journeys and working to help trans people find employment in the formal sector. <clears throat> and the last chunk of our work is to pick issues that have not got enough focus and look at it. We've done something around a traditional transgender group called Jogapas. We've done something around intersex people. So that's the other issue we look at. And of course, you've worked with community business for a number of years now. So how did that all start? Um, actually, it started with a meeting at Accenture where it was one of our early um, engagements with the corporates when we started to talk, when the conversations around LGBT issues were starting. And I met people from community business at that meeting. Mm -hmm. Aparna was there. 
and uh, somehow we we felt so much in sync because we were working for inclusion of communities that were very marginal and where there was very little conversation around and since then i must say the partnership has been very fruitful and uh, you know also one where there's a lot of this mutual respect and a lot of learning and i have drawn a lot from your resources so thank you for all the research and the work that you guys do it helps us uh, in our work here of course of course something we both know that has taken a long time to get attention and momentum in the lgbt plus space is transgender inclusion and your work has gone a long way in progressing this what has it been like getting companies to start thinking and acting on this topic how are you actually able to help companies and individuals overcome resistance to the idea of transgender inclusion i think um, it, it's in, in some sense uh, a good time and a bad time in the sense that uh, companies are opening up to transgender issues uh, in india also because policy spaces have opened up uh, we have for example a very good uh, 2014 supreme court judgment which uh, for the first time sort of accorded trans people the right you know i mean uh, to full citizenship if you will because the you know things that were denied to them and now um and and actually our states to roll out policies so that is a very positive judgment of the supreme court in 2014 and subsequently many states have started putting policies in place and uh, right now there is also a trans bill in uh, you know which is a problematic bill uh, but nevertheless this opening up of spaces has helped companies which are maybe worried about what do we do on this issue is it legal is it okay uh, you know uh, to take a first step in this direction having said that the challenges include the deep bias that people have against trans people um which is uh, you know notions of uh, that it's what they are abnormal uh, they are you know they are not actually as good as somebody else uh you know and all kinds of fear there's a lot of fear of trans people that uh, they're aggressive they will you know do uh, you know so uh, and whether they will fit in all these kind of things also uh, are the challenges that we face in in terms of trans inclusion at the workplace really interesting some difficult challenges indeed so what are companies doing what can companies do in terms of promoting transgender inclusion in the workplace uh yeah so the companies also i mean in in, in terms of continuing the to talk about the fears they have they also worried about what uh will what how will other employees respond because sometimes i've had leaders say that they're okay but i'm not sure the staff are ready you know so then i think it's the job of the companies to make the staff ready and therefore to do a series of sensitization workshops uh, where people are able to express these fears these doubts uh, sometimes a practical considerations like oh do we need to build a new toilet for them do we need to change all of our all our policies uh, what will be the financial ramifications if people have to go through you know uh, sexual reaffirming or re- re- reassignment surgeries um 
so these these are questions that are in people's minds and often there's no forum or platform to talk about them so the first thing would be provide that forum where people can ask these questions and there are many organizations including ours in community business that can help organizations have those conversations about you know what is happening why why should we include trans people uh, what are the issues and concerns you have then of course it is to relook at all your policies you know um to i mean it it's in some sense similar to what you do with any other group that is marginalized that when you want to expand your diversity and inclusion we had to do that in terms of women we've had to do that in terms of people living with dis- people with disability and we also have to do it to trans people that where are the gaps in the policies where is the where what is the culture of the organization like so these are questions you got to start to ask and look at but i think the thing is not to wait for the perfect policy but to start to engage and build and as you go you learn i mean there is no perfect policy you'll have you'll never have it but it is to take that first step and to start to engage and to start to explore that is really useful shuba so sensitization workshops having those conversations and actually empowering people enabling those conversations within the workplace and as you were saying having the practical considerations and strong policies that support them as you were mentioning you do great work not just in the lgbt plus space but also around gender equity and a number of other topics and we've partnered on a few of those do you remember you spoke at the 2014 diversity and inclusion conference that we organized here in hong kong you were part of this panel that discussed the dynamics of lgbt plus and religion in asia and the conversations there point to this growing recognition of the intersection of issues and the complexity of human and social identity with the work that you do you're in a unique position to give us a glimpse into the complexities of indian society i'm interested to hear how those dynamics play out in the indian context uh yeah for example uh, we Uh, since most of our work is with um, you know non english speaking uh, more economically and socially disadvantaged communities uh, we already face a number of challenges when say trans people from this background have to go into a corporate job you know for example uh, because they are uh, the education levels are generally low uh, and then our setup is such that we don't value other kinds of experience you're looking only for formal qualification they're not actually so if a person has actually learned the skill on 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 the job somewhere it's very difficult to move ahead because we're biased you know there's a bias about formal education which is actually then means that you must come from a certain socio economic background to make avail of that formal education uh, there are challenges that people who you know who because of uh, you know you might say if you are of uh, belonging to a religious minority then there are issues in the workplace around how 
that is recognized or not recognized. You know, what are the holidays you get? What are the practices that are allowed? Uh, what is the kind of food that is served or not served? All of these become uh, sort of, you know, unconscious ways in which uh, we exclude people who may not belong to the majority community of any any kind. And, um, you know, it, it's also in, um, you know, uh, the, the issues around who gets access to what kinds of facilities. So, uh, for example, because some of us may travel in our own private vehicles, we don't understand that trans people from another community have to use public transport, and public transport in, in, the, in Bangalore, at least, and in many parts of India, uh, this is sex-segregated areas of sitting. So in the bus, women sit in front and men sit at the back. And then it's very difficult for a trans person to know where in the bus to even sit. And that means they're forced to take, you know, uh, taxis and uh, things which are far more expensive. And it's these kind of little things that we often, uh, you know, forget about or don't realize what it, it's like, you know, uh, when you come from a more difficult or marginalized background, uh, you know. Uh, and then you possibly don't have family support because you're a trans person. So uh, certain things that we take for granted, uh, like, for example, we are running a project called Project Vyati, which is to help trans people get into the formal space. And one of the challenges we face is, okay, they say, okay, we're willing, if we have to come in for the training for one month, one or three months or whatever, we will lose our whatever small job we have now, and we don't have family support to ride us over that time. You know, we don't can't we don't have a home. We have to pay rent. So those are factors we sometimes don't take into account because we don't understand the backgrounds from which they come in. And if you plan any kind of intervention without an understanding of this, it's going to fail. Uh, so it's important to have those conversations with people. Uh, and find out what is their lived reality. How do all these intersectionalities of, you know, of class, of location, of gender, play out in their lives? You know, what happens in, you know, uh, that becomes an important sort of way to go forward. Which actually leads me to another point. I think it's also important in the Asia context uh, to explore alternative kind of frameworks to understand LGBT or sexual minority issues because uh, sometimes we are, I think, very blindly taking a Western sort of model and trying mm -hmm. to fit it into our own realities when our spaces and our culture is different. So, for example, uh, you know, there may be issues around religion around uh, that allows some space. However, peripheral to trans people. How do we strengthen that rather than uh, dismiss it as just, oh, uh, you know, this is some religious space and it's not a secular space, you know? So how do we work with our own realities and build a model? In fact, this is my, you know, next task that I want to take up very seriously is how do you build an Asian sort of framework on LGBT issues? That is really interesting. Some of those I don't think had even occurred to me, so thank you for that. I am wondering how caste fits into this dynamic. Uh, see, most of us uh, in the corporate world uh, would like to say that we don't 
you know, that the corporate world is open to people of all castes. But unfortunately, castes, even in the urban areas, operate in a, you know, as an undercurrent. And sometimes without us realizing, uh, it, will be, it will seem that all of the people that we get in are from the more dominant of, or forward castes, as we call them, uh, even if we don't intend it like that. Because uh, we don't understand that caste plays a role also in the way uh, people feel about themselves. So levels of confidence among people uh, from the more backward caste is, you know, lower. And they feel more diffident. They feel, you know, so uh, these are issues that also need to be addressed. That the caste issue has to be, uh, the conversations have not yet started in corporate India. And I think it's time to start looking at caste a little more seriously uh, because it does affect the, your access to what we call social capital. Mm. This is incredibly fascinating, and there's definitely space to have more conversations around the implications of caste in the corporate world, which many ignore or even deny the existence of, I find. Unfortunately, we are running short on time, so... As we look to the future, how should we go about promoting inclusion? What are some key success factors with the companies that you've worked with in India? I think uh, the strongest uh, has uh, thing has been that people have started with you know the, the, they've started with the idea that I want to, for example, saying I want to hire a trans person and I want to get trans people in. What do I need to do to make that happen? That's the way to go about it. And then to say, okay, these would be the bottlenecks. These would be the hurdles. For example, people don't, may not understand. For example, I don't have a champion at the senior level who I need to get involved. I have to look at what kind of resources I can put into it. So if you start with that question or that aim that I need to get this, these people in, then you start to build up what all you need to do to make that happen, rather than saying, you know, more passively that, oh, we're open to all kinds of people coming into the organization, and, uh, you know, so we when we put our ad out of the recruitment, we'll just send it to everybody. That's not, that helps. That's, that's a good first step. But I'm saying if you adopt a more active and proactive role of saying, what is it that we need to do? And each organization may have to do a slightly different set of things, but definitely sensitization on both sides is necessary, some preparedness, getting the trans person prepared, uh, you know, to get into the corporate space and giving them some time to get used to that, uh, providing other kinds of support, maybe formal counseling services uh, would become necessary. Getting a champion within the organization at a senior level will become necessary. Maybe setting up a support group within, you know, the employees resource group or other support systems within the organization may become necessary. So all these are steps you've got to take, but I again emphasize don't wait to say that, oh, we have to get all of this in order before we start. Get the, you know, do the bare minimum get and get started on the journey. That is really good advice for leaders on advancing inclusion in the workplace. The scope of your work is incredible, as we've seen, but I understand you're looking into other areas these days. What can we expect from Solidarity Foundation in the future? Well, the two 
uh, new ones that we're starting. One is to do with mental health issues. Uh, what we've realized is with the communities that we work with, since they face a lot of discrimination, violence, abuse, etc., the it affects their mental health in, in, in very deep ways. And um, we have, for example, lost a lot of people who have taken their own lives. In order to address this issue, we've, uh, we are initiating, uh, you know, a very uh, focused mental health program for members from the community. We are, first of all, building up their capacity to be uh, peer counselors. So at least to recognize signs that somebody's dealing with a mental health issue and we need to do something about it. That's one. And to also build up awareness among the community because we all know that there is such a stigma and taboo in society to talk about mental health issues. We don't want to address it. We, you know, we have our own biases and prejudice about what mental health issues are about. So we are trying to build up awareness not only among the LGBT community, but in the general population that they live with, on what is it that, what are mental health issues, what are the challenges people, all people face, what, you know, breaking myths and stigma and superstitions around it. So that is part of what we're doing. So that's one initiative. And the second initiative has to do with mobile phones and safety and efficacy, because a uh, lot of people are now using mobile phones in various ways, uh, also to hook up and meet other people, etc. What then are the safety concerns that they have around that and how do we tackle that? And also how can you use your mobile phone efficiently to organize, to mobilize people, uh, to do campaigns, etc. So that's the other piece of work that we're just initiating. And the piece that we are taking forward is, um, you know, the two, two new areas that I said we had explored. One is on intersex issues, because there's so little around it, that we are actually going to start a fellowship for uh, people who are intersex and ask them to, uh, you know, draw up advisories for lawyers and policymakers, the medical uh, fraternity, and uh, general people on what it, what does what does intersex mean, what are their lives, etc. And with the other piece of work that we're going forward with is uh, these concerts that we do uh, with the traditional transgender community called the Jogapas. Uh, they are thought to be possessed by a goddess and therefore become, uh, you know, therefore they become trans. And uh, they are singing along with the classical musicians. So they're trying to take that effort also forward. I mean, they've already had four concerts, but they're seeing how to consolidate and move that forward. Well, we'll be sure to include the links to all that you've mentioned. Thank you, Shuba. And thank you all for listening in on this Diane Thought Leadership Podcast with Shuba Chako. This has been Tina Arcelia. Be sure to catch the next podcast where I catch up with Nadine Vogel of Springboard Consulting. She's been working globally to mainstream disability.